Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Welcome to our Global Fitness Pro family, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Idea Fit Pro Show. I'm your host, Sandy Webster, and today I'm turning the mic over to my teammate, Ryan Halverson, who serves as Idea's Event Programming Director. Ryan is joined by three accomplished experts who are dedicated to helping fit pros the world over to understand and overcome body bias in fitness and to give tips on how to create safe spaces for all people. Our panelists are Tasha Edwards, a certified personal trainer with two health coaching certifications and a master's degree in counseling. Molly Galbraith, an NSCA certified strength and conditioning specialist and co-founder and owner of Girls Gone Strong. And Dr. Kelly Walters, an assistant professor at California State University, Long Beach, where she studies the psychosocial aspects of physical activity. Ryan's discussion today is an outstanding primer for a more in-depth session on the same topic this panel will explore at Idea World Virtual in July. The fitness industry has long presented a homogenized picture of what true health and fitness looks like. However, that image applies to a very small portion of the population. When people don't see themselves reflected in the marketing, messages, and spaces that are presented to them, they don't feel they belong and are unlikely to engage. What's worse, this can have a significant negative emotional and mental impact on the very folks we aim to help. In this enlightening episode are inspiring experts whose mission is to dismantle the current body bias structure share what they're doing to rebuild an industry that is mindful of being inclusive, safe, and reflective of the diverse population. They also share how fitness pros may unwittingly be turning people off and what they can do to truly inspire the world to fitness. Stay with us as this conversation is a must listen for all fit pros. All right. Well, um, I am pretty thrilled to be joined by three amazing women who have graciously offered their time and expertise and experiences to discuss a topic that I think is quite important and probably not talked about enough. And that's body image in the fitness industry and what we can all do as fitness professionals to create more inclusive and safe spaces. And that's, you know, these three women are here because that is exactly what they're doing. They're using their expertise to try to eradicate the negativity surrounding body shape and body image and create spaces that are inclusive and welcoming because, you know, ideas mission is to inspire the world to fitness. And we can't do that when we're inspiring 5% of the population to participate. So that's what we're here to discuss. So um, first up is Molly. I'm very excited to meet Molly. I followed Molly for a long, long time on social media, and I'm grateful to finally get to meet you. She is the uh, co-founder and woman in charge at Girls Gone Strong and the author of the recently uh, published Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. Congratulations on that. I know you've been working on that for quite some time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Next is Dr. Kelly Walters, who is assistant uh, professor at California State University, Long Beach, and the co-founder of Smart Fit Women. Welcome, Kelly. 
And finally, Tasha Edwards, who is a wellness coach at Hip Healthy Chick. She also has a master's degree in counseling, which she uses to help women do more than just lose weight. So uh, again, thanks to you all for being here. I just gave a brief introduction, but I would love for you to go into more depth about uh, your career and what has brought you into the space that we're going to talk about today. And Tasha, I'd like to start with you. Okay, great. Um, how I how I got in into this space is my husband lost his job. Like that's the short version. You know, um, I had recently gotten married. I'd had a baby and I had already had a son. And so I went from being a single mom with two jobs to a stay-at-home mom with two kids. And um, I was in a car accident. My husband lost his job because he had to stay home with me. So we lost our house. We had to move to another state. And I took a job in the gym selling memberships because I needed something to do. Um, and now looking back on it, it was the, the binder that kept the two sides of my eating disorder life together because I previously struggled and I was so adamant about, I wouldn't even go visit people until I lost my baby weight. And then I get into the industry and there's all this pressure that I did not know of. And so now that I'm looking back, disordered eating led me to go work in the gym, if I can be honest. Um, and because my background is in psychology and counseling, I realized that that was the underlying, it wasn't that people couldn't do bicep curls. It was that people weren't willing, number one, instructors included, to address their disordered eating patterns. Um, and people weren't welcome and felt like they had to starve themselves just to be able to walk into a class. And I feel like everything that I have done from that point, and I have ping pong everywhere, everything stems from the idea is that I never want anyone to feel like I felt coming in, feeling like you can't sit with the cool kids because you have thick thighs. Like that's, that's what it felt like. And um, I'm just thrilled that this conversation is now out in the open so that we can really be honest about it for ourselves and for the people that we serve. Excellent. Yeah. I think that, you know, that, and this is probably something that we'll talk about moving forward, but how many times have you heard that people don't go to the gym because they need to be fit before they can actually go to a gym or be fit before they hire a personal trainer or whatever that fit looks like to them or that the media has portrayed it as. So it's such an interesting, mm -hmm. interesting um, topic. Kelly, I'll send it off to you next. Yeah. So um, I got in this industry, you know, this because of my mother. I grew up uh, with uh, group fitness and my mom. And um, so I naturally knew I want to do kinesiology when I went to undergrad. How I got into this specific area of my research was actually, so Smart Fit Women is my wellness coaching company. And um, a few years of my good friend and I working with adult women, we realized like, you know what? A lot of this stems a lot earlier on. And so we actually started Smart Fit Girls, which is Molly, you've actually supported a number of times. So um, so that's really, it was right when I started my PhD and we had some funding. And so we started um, a nonprofit program that really focuses on body image in girls. And um, ever since then, 2013, all of my research has really focused on that. And then when I came to Cal State Long Beach, we are in the fitness option and I started looking into literature and there's like six articles that have ever been published on body image in the fitness industry. <laughs> and you can imagine like who they were published on and like, so, um, there's a lot of issues there. And so, um, 
I like geek out on it and I love it so much. And, um, there's, I mean, Tasha, you like alluded to, there's a lot of work that needs to happen <laughs> in our industry. And so I'm excited to, to talk about it. Yeah. And not, not enough time to, or not enough uh, space in a 30 minute conversation to be able to really <laughs> even get deep into it, but we will do our very best. Uh, and then finally, Molly. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I've been in health and fitness for over 17 years now. I got in for the same reason that a lot of people get in because I wanted to change the way that my body looked and felt. Um, I was, gosh, I think a junior in college, I was about 19 years old and I was very, started dating um, a guy who was a competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. So I was thrust into the world of intense exercise very quickly, started the kind of roller coaster dieting, competing in figure competitions, um, started coaching clients very early on as well. And, um, after every figure competition, I'd kind of have that rebound. I eventually, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid disease and polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, PCOS. And so I was a fitness professional whose weight was fluctuating, you know, 20, 30 pounds. And I was experiencing a lot of scrutiny in the industry. So I was a gym owner, fitness professional, had an online presence, um, and started to realize, oh, well, if I'm experiencing this scrutiny as kind of like the default, right? Young, fit, white, blonde, like able by, you know, no visible disabilities. Like I'm experiencing this type of scrutiny and feeling uncomfortable in the gym. How must other people might be feeling as well who don't check kind of all of those default boxes? And so um, started Girls Gone Strong in 2011. We started as an organization that just wanted to inspire women to lift weights. Um, and over the last 10 years have evolved into an organization that provides evidence-based um, interdisciplinary health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education for women and professionals who work with them um, and realized how big body, how big of a topic body image was and how much it was impacting the way women were viewing themselves impacting the way that health and fitness professionals were often missing the mark in terms of helping their clients. And so it's um, from, from almost the beginning, it's been a really big part of the work that we do at Girls Gone Strong, trying to um, help women feel better in their bodies, but also educate health and fitness professionals about um, the unique experiences that their clients might be ex experiencing and what they need to know to be able to better serve and connect with their clients. Absolutely. Well, well, thanks again for the three of you for being here. So I, I think it's time we just dive right in. So I kind of alluded at the beginning and, and t all three of you have kind of mentioned this, that, you know, the the goal of a fitness professional or gym owner or studio owner, they want to help people. Right. They, they got into this business because they want to help people. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're missing helping the vast majority of the population. And a large part of that sounds like, and we're digging more into it. And Kelly, you'll talk about your research a little bit more later, but that, that we're sending the wrong message that, you know, there are problems with the way that we're selling fitness. And so I was just curious if you can sort of give a rundown of what, you know, your perception on that. Why is fitness failing most people? Tasha, I'll start with you. Um, it has become more of a popularity contest than it is health and wellness. Um, especially with the emergence of social media, you know, the people with the six pack and the glute shots are the people who get likes and people are chasing likes. So we chase images because people can tell us whatever they wanna tell us on social media. And when we see someone who has the perfect body and her workout program looks awesome and she showed you all of her, you know, pre-made meals, you think that's who I want to be. If I were her, I wouldn't do this. 
except for when you get to that finish line, you just move it 10 more yards because you see someone else and you're thinking what she did was a good idea. And then you move. It's like you never get there, you know? And I mean, let's be honest. It sells people with six packs and, you know, fancy lunch bags. It sells, you know? And so to people want us to solve their problems. So if I hit you where it hurts, Oh, you want a bikini body? Oh, how about your summer body? Oh, do you want a six pack abs? Oh, I could write you a meal plan. We can fix this. If you hit me where it hurts, I'm automatically listening because all I want is a summer body. You know, and so I think we've gotten very creative with our marketing and we're missing the mark, honestly. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. And uh, there aren't a lot of people who don't like Molly reference in that checkbox, that's who I saw when I came into the gym, which made me want to be in it, but it also made me feel like I didn't belong in it. So it's like a two-edged sword, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's something that is brought up oftentimes is that, you know, the two main products that the fitness industry tends to sell is weight loss and health improvement. Both of those take a long time, are somewhat intangible and can be demotivating. And so I'm curious, Molly, you know, how do we, you know, with that in mind, how does that impact somebody who is potentially looking to get involved in fitness more as an enthusiast? We got into it because we loved it and we found an association with it that was positive. But there are a lot of people out there that come to us out of potentially shame because they don't like the way that they look or they've been told that they should look a certain way. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of the the big issues that I see in the health and fitness industry, number one is this perpetuation of this hierarchy of bodies, right? That thinner, smaller, leaner is always better. And what that leads to is that leads to health and fitness professionals assuming weight loss goals for their clients, complementing weight loss, even when it's not healthy, putting their clients on unhealthy exercise regimens and nutrition plans, meal plans, things that are totally outside of their scope in order to shrink their bodies, um, using advertisements and information online that perpetuates fat phobia and anti-fat bias, judging their clients based on their ability level. There are just so many issues. And like Tasha said, like this often leads that when we're hitting clients where they, where they're hurting, right. We're saying, Oh, is this the body that you want? Like you're feeling so badly in your body. This is what you want to look like. It often leads people to, to either avoid the gym because they don't think that they're fit enough to go in there in the first place or sign up thinking that they need, they're going to fix themselves or shrink themselves or get this, you know, dream body that they think is going to end up solving all of their problems, which when you really dig down deeper into why they're wanting that in the first place, it often has to do with love, belonging, connection, self-worth, things like that. And so, um, so much of the fitness industry again is, is selling this kind of panacea, right? Like when you lose weight, then all of your problems will be fixed or leaving people feeling unwelcome to even come into gym and fitness spaces in the first place because health and fitness professionals don't understand how their clients lived experiences and intersectional identities impact how they need to be coached and served and talked to. And so I think we've kind of got the, those two massive problems going on in the health and fitness industry, which hopefully things like this panel and the work that you all are doing at IDEA and that we're all doing within our own organizations can um, start kind of moving the needle on that. Absolutely. And, and Kelly, I'm curious because, you know, a lot of what you do in this area, as you mentioned, is do a lot of research and you read a lot. Um, you know, how... 
when we talk about folks being brought into this realm out of shame because they're told that they are supposed to lose weight, how effective is that? So Tasha mentions that we go and we get meal plans on Instagram and we have this idealized perception of what we should be. How effective is that for somebody for the long term to remain involved in a fitness and exercise and nutrition program? hate to say that it's actually like brilliant because you, you continue to let them fail. So there's continuing, like, there's always going to be business for you. Um, so it's terrible, but it works, which is why people have been trying to like get fit for years and not like, have we really been, have we become healthier people? Have we become happier people? I would say probably not. If anything, we've become more unhealthy and more unhappy. Um, and our industry is a large part a reason for that. Um, I, you know, we talk about the industry, but we have to think about like who is coming into the industry and like the, the research that's done on, on even undergraduate students. Like we know they're in kinesiology and exercise science. Like we are prepping these individuals to become so to have a high anti-fat bias, right? Like we know that in the literature and then they're coming into an industry that says like, this is also what's selling. And it's this culture that, is going to be really, really hard to shift. And these conversations are a really important part, but um, it like, you know, I'm sure we all know about the calling in and calling out culture. Like it takes us calling in our fellow fitness colleagues. And I hope that that's kind of what we're doing right now, even with idea. Well, and you, uh, you did that a little bit. You presented on this topic of body image and the problems that the fitness industry perpetuates and um, presented some of your own research, your original research, and it startled a lot of people that was in that session. And it triggered a lot of people because of there was some pushback that's like, no, I don't do that, but we don't know because we're biased and we have a lot of unconscious bias. Can you speak a little bit about that research and some of the data that you brought out? I know it's hard to sort of like put it into a little capsule, but. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. So what we know, and this is intuitive, I think, is that there's a very strong link between poor body image, which is really kind of what we're talking about, right? The focus and psychosocial harm. So anxiety, depression, harmful eating, disordered eating, poor self-esteem like that, that link is just so well shown um, where we have a disconnect as fitness individuals and professionals is that we are experiencing that ourselves. So that's a, a level of self-awareness and we're perpetuating it with our own actions. And I was nervous to give that talk um, when I gave it. And I've done so many talks about my research, but because it was a population that um, maybe didn't want to hear it. And that's a hard conversation to have with people who are like, oh no, like I'm a fitness professional and I make people healthy and I'm in it for the right reasons. And, um, or I've done all the things to fix my own body image, but it's not working. And I think what I ended with in that conversation was like the first thing you have to do is pause and, and really self-reflect and start with self-awareness because we can't help others, our clients, if we can't start with ourselves, like that's the number one thing that is missing. Um, and that's challenging for people to, to grasp or to like, it's tough. Well, yeah, <laughs> we don't because... want to hear it. 
right? We're in this business and most everybody gets into this business because they want to help people and to hear that maybe potentially the messages that you're sending, your Instagram posts, the, the, the language that you use in an exercise session might actually be doing more harm than good. You know, we've been, we've talked about, you know, group fitness or let's say indoor cycling where it's like, we're going to get those summer thighs and that's off-putting the language choices. And it's the easy choice to use because that's what we hear, but there are ways around it and different choices that we can make to motivate folks to participate and feel their bodies and feel strong, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break from this great conversation to share some super exciting news from Idea Health and Fitness Association. Are you ready? Okay, here goes. We are gifting registrations to 2021 Idea World Virtual this July 9th through 11th for the first 15,000 people who sign up for our all new reimagined Idea Fit Plus membership. That's a $399 ticket to the Super Bowl of Fitness for fit pros who renew or sign up for Idea Fit Plus membership for as low as $199 per year. That's right, the $399 ticket to the 2021 virtual event is included in your membership price. If you're not an IDEA member, learn more how, about how IDEA Fit Plus membership is truly the mastermind asset that fit pros everywhere are choosing to push their careers forward. To learn more about how you can enjoy all of IDEA's incredible benefits and career tools, and to get your complimentary ticket to IDEA World Virtual, please visit ideafit.com or call our inspired service team at 1-800-999-4332, extension 7. Time is of the essence for this incredible offer. The benefits and services in this new membership package are the most contemporary, relevant, and affordable in today's market. Your IdeaFit Plus membership will help you to keep moving forward and building your career during these challenging times. So jump over to ideafit.com today to learn more and secure your IdeaFit Plus membership and your all-access three-day ticket to 2021 Idea World Virtual. Check the show notes for details. Now let's get back to the interview. You bring up weight bias and everybody here has brought up weight bias. Tasha, at, at Ideal World Virtual this summer, you're going to speak about this in a session that you're that you're leading on Breaking Body Barriers is the title. Can you talk a little bit about weight bias and how it might actually impact our ability to help our students and clients? You know, it's exactly what Kelly just hit upon is that it's it's a start with us. You know, we see bodies in relation to what we have been taught, how we have been raised and how we see ourselves. You know, it is like one of those those things that you don't even realize is happening because it has become so embedded that, you know, if you see someone who is, according to the BMI, quote, overweight, and the first thing you say is, so this is really high impact and I will show you the lower options, you know, that sort of thing, or compliment the thin person who can't even exercise for two minutes because they have no cardiovascular endurance, but it's like us judging people as they come in. Oh, she needs to lose some weight. Oh, she probably needs this. Oh, she probably needs that. And as Molly mentioned about her PCOS, I don't have that, but I have had a wave 
after going through, like I mentioned, a couple deaths, a, uh, my aunt died. I put on 15 pounds in three months, just like that. I survived on coffee and chocolate. And part of the eating disorder when I had it, the binge eating was that shame that how can I go to my people and say, I'm grieving and I didn't have my protein shake today. I ate a whole pound of chocolate and a venti vanilla latte and it was not sugar-free, you know? And it's, we live in such shame that we put that on other people and we are so unconscious of it, you know? And so I think we can't have an honest conversation until we say, this is my body story. This is where this started happening and identify that stuff because you can't come out of it if you're still thinking about it, about yourself. It just clouds everything else that's going on. So that's it. That's that's the, the basis is breaking the body barriers. And that starts with with us owning our body story and and unfolding it so that um, we create space, not just for them, but for us and each other. Right. Well, it sounded, I mean, everybody here is talking about how, you know, going into the fitness industry, we have so much scrutiny placed on ourselves, or at least it's the perception that there is scrutiny placed on us because, you know, I've heard stories of, of over, you know, larger bodied group fitness instructors who then working with students, the students won't go in because they're like, well, how is she able to lead this class or he able to lead this class when he can't even walk the walk? And the fact of the matter is, is that not everybody's going into the fitness industry for weight loss. Maybe they don't want it. That's not a, that's not something that they're interested in. And I know, Molly, you've worked with a lot of women over the years and have helped sort of change the the perception of what fitness and movement and exercise is about. Now, um, can you speak a little bit to how we color our clients' experiences based on what, and what Tasha is saying, what we think they need, or if they are a larger body person, they aren't capable of certain things because we believe that they aren't. Yeah, absolutely. So again, like everyone keeps saying, we bring our own biases to these conversations. So we've heard from so many women in our community who will go to a trainer because they want to increase their deadlift. And the trainer's like, okay, so uh, here's the meal plan that you're going to be on. And you're going to, we're going to measure you as often. They're like, no, 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 I'm here to increase my deadlift. And the trainer like short circuits because they don't even understand, right? That someone might have a goal for themselves other than shrinking their body. Um, or they will consistently compliment um, their client on weight loss when that's not even their goal in the first place. And so a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's a, that's a good thing, right? Like we should be complimenting our clients and encouraging them. But when we compliment them solely, especially solely on weight loss, right? That does a number of things It it, first of all, it, reinforces that their body is up for scrutiny and that we are judging what their body looks like, then it makes them feel like smaller is always better. So they might again, continue to resort to unhealthy behaviors to shrink themselves, even, you know, when that, that, if that wasn't even the goal that they came in with, or if something happens in their life, they have a life event like Tasha had, or like I had, and their body weight fluctuates, they might feel so much shame that they stop going to the gym or they're too embarrassed to even talk to their trainer because they think their trainer is going to judge them or shame them or, you know, make their plan, like punish them with exercise, or whatever, because they're not, because their body weight has fluctuated and they're not losing weight. And then again, judging people's ability based on um, their appearance. We did a survey of our community a few years ago, and women said that when they were underestimated by their trainer, that it led them to feel um, frustrated, insulted, 
angry and make them not want to work with that trainer anymore because they felt like the trainer didn't understand them, what their ability level was, what they were able to do in the gym, or they felt embarrassed in front of their, you know, classmates or the other people training because they were constantly getting the modifiers when they didn't actually need them in the first place. And so we have just a really powerful opportunity one way or the other, right. To really help our clients see all the possibilities for their lives and their bodies. That's really what, at the root of what we do at Girls Can Strong is autonomy. We want women to know and believe that they are in control of their lives and their bodies and help them see all the possibilities for themselves. So whether that's for some people that is fat loss, right? And so then when that's something that people want, we really dive into like why they want it and like what they think it's going to do for them and what their ultimate goal is going to be and things like that. Um, but we try to show them all the possibilities. Like, do you want to gain muscle? Do you want to get jacked? Do you want to get stronger? Are you looking to have, do you want fewer aches and pains? Do you want to be able to get up and down off the ground? You know what I mean? Without being in pain. We had a client who her goal was for her granddaughter to be able to run into her arms and for her not to be scared that she was going to drop her, you know, like that's what some people come into the gym for. And so we need to show our clients that it's okay to have those goals and that we are there to support them, whatever they're coming to fitness for. Absolutely. Um, another topic that I want to cover off on a, a bit is the concept of body positivity or body inclusivity, which is, has, you know, seems that it's, it's about acceptance of who you are and where you're at. And I was just sort of curious, Kelly, what your perspective on what body positivity is, um, your perspective on, you know, why it has become a powerful movement over these past many years. A really great question. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think the why is because it was necessary. We're kind of reached a point. Um, I don't know when was it like early 2010s, like where like it really started picking up. And um, I think there was just a bunch of people, and I'll speak to my network and what I know most women who were just like kind of done, like with with the, how the industry was like marketing to them. Um, I've been in a lot of different body positivity spaces and, and fitness conferences now. Um, and so I'm hesitant to say that we're doing a great job with it now because it's almost become performative. And um, what I mean by that is that um, there are a bunch of fitness professionals who are now saying they are body positive fitness professionals, and yet they're still using the same rhetoric, same images, same underlying messages to our clients. Um, and so I think I think, you know, to everyone who's ever listening to this, I think when, whenever you go and you decide this is going to be your, your type of training, if body positivity is how is really what you believe in. I think go back to the beginning and drawing board of your company and think, how do those values translate into everything else that you do? And is it aligned and is it coming through? Um, because what's so frustrating, and we'll say for like my clients, I'm a wellness coach as well is that they'll hear a message from me and then they'll go on Instagram and see other fitness professionals that they believe in. And they're saying they're body positive as well. And yet they're saying like, well, I need to, you need to lose weight and, or they're using the same language. It's just done a little bit different. So. Right. And uh, I think something that has happened like any movement, there is also backlash that happens. And so Tasha, maybe you can speak to this, that, um, the, the critiques of body positivity or accepting your body where it is, is now giving license to engage in unhealthy behaviors and to, to continue to carry a weight that is perceived as unhealthy by so many. Can you speak to that? Yeah, well, the, the sentence that I use about that is content 
but not complacent. Right. So if I'm in a space that, you know, like for me, it's about building muscle again. Like I want to feel strong again. That's what I miss. So I'm content, meaning that I'm not going to keep abusing my body with food or lack thereof um, and honor where I am right now. Complacent would be me saying, well, I'm thick, so let's just still have cake, you know, and then call that body positivity. You know, there's a thing about teaching people about health and wellness, and it has to be, they call it um, moderation. You know, like I, I'm, I'm just gonna eat this and I, I was just born in a big body. Some of that is fear. People are afraid that if they try, they won't be able to go past where they are. You know, and so we kind of use that body positivity as a catchphrase. And like you said, it's a hashtag, which means you could be the most quote unquote fat phobic person in the world, but you put your hashtag there because you know people are looking for it. You know, it becomes more of a marketing thing. And so I think every person has to um, have a reckoning with where they want to be in life. And I think body positivity from my perspective is this is where I am right now. And I honor that. And it is what it is. Right. Right. It doesn't mean that individuals are just going to engage in unhealthy behaviors. So like, this is where I'm at. This is my lot in life. This is where I'm going to stay. And, you know, to hell with it. it that's not yeah. what the body positivity movement really means. It's honoring your body, doing healthful things for your body, taking care of yourself, finding movement that you enjoy, as opposed to engaging in movement that somebody tells you is for a specific goal that may not even be what you're interested in. Um, I think, you know, something that has come up a lot. And I think, you know, when we talk about marketing and messaging in the fitness industry is that a lot of it involves aspirational type marketing. So it's the, you know, it's typically homogenized. I think Molly, you mentioned it's typically a thin, young, blonde, white woman that is pervasive in the marketing spaces. How do you see, because there are those who are proponents of the of that type of marketing that's like, it's aspirational. It's what people want to be. We want to sell an end product. Molly, how does that impact individuals who potentially don't have that homogenized look? Yeah, that's a great question. And one thing that I wanted to, if it's okay to kind of um, briefly address from the last question about the body positivity movement is kind of the delineation between where the body positivity movement started and what it means to feel positive about your own body. Because my understanding is that the body positive movement originated from the fat acceptance movement of the 1960s and was created by and for specifically people in marginalized bodies. So fat folks, black folks, queer folks, folks with disabilities. And so when people say that they are anti-body positivity, what they're saying is that they are anti people fighting back against harassment, discrimination, abuse, and lack of access for people in marginalized bodies. So it's like, hold on a second. Like, what are we actually talking about here? Like, so you're not cool with a movement that was started to help like reduce, like raise awareness about and reduce harassment, discrimination against folks in marginalized bodies. So there's, there's that aspect of it. Right. And then there's the aspect of people feeling positively in their bodies, which is so interesting because I think so much of that is rooted in this idea of healthism. Like people owe us their health, right. Which all of us are health and fitness professionals. We want people to get healthier. But again, if we're going back to like, you know, you're in charge of you and I'm in charge of me, like trying to force what we think looks healthy on other people is a really big problem. Um, and so, so your original, so I wanted to like, <laughs> like, just like say that real quick. Cause again, when people are like, Oh, this body positivity movement, this is BS. It's like, hold on a second. Like, like, let's talk about what it, what this, 
thing, like where it started and where it actually originated. Um, but you are exactly right when it comes to like checking all of those boxes that I talked about. There's an exercise that Dr. Uh, Larissa Mercado Lopez, who is a curriculum developer for Girls Come Strong, um, proposed several years ago. And it's to go to Google and Google the term um, healthy woman or fit woman and look at all of the images that pop up, right? And again, they happen to check all of those boxes, thin, young, white, you know, lightly muscled, washboard abs, look like they have access to nice clothing and facilities, things like that. And it's like, we see on average about 10,000 images per day. And media scholar, Jean Kilborn says, we only process about 8% of what we see consciously. So four to 10,000 times per day, when we're seeing images, we are subconsciously processing. If you're interested in health and fitness, a lot of those images are going to be curated for health and fitness. We're seeing these images of this is what it means to be healthy and fit. This is the right way to have a body. This is a fit body. This is a good body. This is who fitness is for. This is who's, you know, like fitness, if you're not, don't check those boxes. Again, you might think fitness isn't for me. I don't belong there. I'm not going to be welcome. I'm going to be too embarrassed to be in that space. And so again, there's nothing wrong with the individual women who show up in those Google searches. The problem is who's not showing up in those Google searches, who's not being represented, who is not feeling as though the fit, fitness space or a gym space is going to be a safe and welcoming spot for them. And I think all of us as health and fitness professionals have a responsibility to be mindful of the images that we're using in our marketing, of the language that we're using on our websites and how we're speaking to our clients, of the way that we're you know, advertising our services and, you know, things like that. And I, and so I think that this, things like this, conversations like this are a really amazing place to start because they help educate health and fitness professionals about what we can each do to then turn around and impact 10, a hundred, a thousand, 10,000 people in our communities online and, and the people that we work with in person as well. There's a really powerful ripple effect that can happen. And we would truly believe at Girls Gone Strong that health and fitness professionals have the opportunity to help women feel strong, confident, and empowered in their lives and bodies if we have the right tools. And things like this um, this podcast that we're doing in this panel that we're going to be doing in the whole idea um, organization and, and the world event are, have the opportunity to educate health and fitness professionals on how to do that. Absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, so the, these three women are going to be participating in a panel on this subject at Ideal World Virtual this summer. And so it's again, it's about creating, finding, you know, sharing the tools to help create inclusive spaces for all bodies so that everybody wants to participate in movement, however that feels for them. And so, Molly, you gave a whole bunch of tips. And I was going to ask the three of you if you could share some tips like a tip that a fitness professional can implement right away. And so you've shared, I think, about a dozen just right there. But uh, Kelly, is there anything else that you would add as far as what a fit pro can do right now to create more inclusive, uh, uh, accepting and welcoming spaces. Oh my gosh. Um, one thing. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier and that I think we have to be vulnerable enough to see what, what we're doing wrong. And I think so many of us think that we have to do things right all the time and be experts in everything that we don't slow down enough to, to think, well, maybe I am doing this or, um, so that, that would be my suggestion be vulnerable thank you and tasha listen before you talk <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah. yeah listen before you talk Okay, fantastic. Well, we are just about out of time. And again, I want to thank all three of you for sharing your time, your experiences and expertise. Again, we could discuss this for hours and hours on end. We'll get to discuss it more in depth at Idea World Virtual this this summer. But uh, before we close out, I just want you to give a chance to for our listeners to know where they can find you. So Molly, how can how can folks find you on Instagram? 
Yeah, at the Molly Galbraith and at the Girls Gone Strong. Kelly? At Smart Fit Girls and at Smart Fit Women with an X. And Tasha? I am at Hip Healthy Chick and I, I do have another page because I just got my nonprofit papers last week. Okay. So that would be at See Her Healthy. So. Awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you very much to the three of you for being here. I look forward to this panel in, in the summer. It's going to be fantastic. Um, yeah. So thank you all for being here. I appreciate your time. Thank, thank you. you. All right. That was such an amazing and enlightened exchange of ideas. I am so grateful to Ryan for hosting this episode and to Tasha, Molly and Kelly for sharing their research, wisdom and compassion. I definitely have this session marked on my Idea World virtual lineup. It's session number 248, and you can sign up for it at ideafit.com. See the show notes for details. In the meantime, if you're not an Idea member, learn more about how IdeaFit Plus membership is truly the mastermind asset that fit pros everywhere are choosing to push their careers forward. If we can answer any questions about how you can enjoy all of IDEA's incredible benefits and career tools, please visit ideafit.com or call our inspired service team at 1-800-999-4332, extension 7. This is Sandy Webster signing off. Until next time, stay positive and keep inspiring the world with your special magic. Don't ever forget that you make a huge difference in the lives of others and that idea is here to support you in this critical purpose. Thanks for all you do to make the world a happier, healthier place. The Idea Fit Pro Show is part of the Outside Inc. podcasting network. It's executive produced by Jordan Leeds and edited by Mike Hilding. Copyright 2021, all rights reserved. Reproduction without permission is strictly prohibited.